Hello, and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner, and joining me on the other line is a likely ecstatic John Sauber. How you doing, man? Pretty ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, and there's good reason for that. Uh, obviously, the big news of the day, which I actually found out from you because I have not been on Twitter as much recently, is that the Philadelphia 76ers, at long last, hired Daryl Morey to oversee their basketball operations. That, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, excuse me, uh, of ESPN. This is a move that I think you and I have kind of, and a lot of people have joked about as, you know, oh, what if this happened for a really long time? There was a part of me that always kind of believed it was in play, but it, it is kind of funny and, and also kind of satisfying to see it actually happen. Daryl Morey is part of the Sixers front office now. The process continues, maybe. I don't know. What, where does it the restarts? Process, yeah, restarts, I, where I think. does the process stand now that Morey's in tow over there in Philly? So as you would guess, I have about a million thoughts on this from, you know, what it means for the roster to what it says about the front office and the ownership group. Uh, but to be fair to you uh, finding out from me, I, I have Woj tweet notifications on. I got the notification, saw Maury's name, and immediately opened it to see what it was and then uh, went straight to texting you guys. So, you know, it was uh, it was a pretty – like no one really had any time to find out from anyone other than me if, if they were getting that first text. Uh, I think you're sort of it, – it's, it's almost laughable that he's the hire considering the way this front – or this, this ownership group does things. Like they, they hired uh, – they had Brett Brown in place and they brought in a, a, an ownership – or they brought in a front office group led by Alton Brand or kept a front office group led by Alton Brand last year – or two years ago, excuse me. And then, uh, you know, they – they had brand take the job, but he had to keep everyone under him. Like they interviewed Maury at the time, two years ago, they interviewed, I think there was talks of them wanting to talk to RC Buford or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and we should say too, the people Elton brand had to keep under him were the people from the Brian Colangelo era, which ended after right. a Twitter burner account scandal, which followed um, a, a quite tumultuous kind of turnover uh, with with Sam Hinkie, so like, th there's a lot of uh, I guess dysfunction, just total yeah, dysfunction. There's a lot of history that even stems beyond the last two years, which have also been dysfunctional in Philadelphia. But I'm I'm just saying from a, an order of operations standpoint, it is strange to have, you know, all of those things in place and then tell guys you're interviewing like, hey, you have to keep our front office intact, like you can't bring your own guys in. Well, two years later, here we are. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the Sixers brought in Peter Dinwiddie and Prosper Karangwa, you know, to to sort of be the number two and three in the organization uh, and kind of push Alex Rucker to the side. I saw reportedly Ned Cohen had already been to the side of things. It wasn't really a key factor in everything, uh, which is strange to just keep them around. Uh, but when that happened, I think, you know, we had a small conversation about like it kind of, it didn't necessarily kill the Maury stuff, but it made it really unlikely. Like, why are you bringing guys in to work under him if he's not going to have a say in it? Now, of course, Maury comes in anyways. Uh, I, I saw that Alex Rucker is going to be phased out of the organization during the transition. Cohen will stay around, but doesn't seem to have a role. And, and part of me wonders if, and I would hope this is the case, considering they, they had reportedly been talking uh, since um, Maury was like, well, since Maury left uh, the Rockets, I think both of us would probably say that that may have been Maury's decision or it may have been Tillman Fertitta exerting his will on the organization. Uh, but I would hope that if they were in discussions for that long, that Maury had a say in those hires, that he had a hand in them, like that, it, you know, they were guys that he preferred. Otherwise, it's very strange to build a front office and then bring a guy in to lead it when he doesn't know them. He, he may not trust them. He doesn't understand them. 
And like after Keith Pompey uh, of the Philadelphia Inquirer has been peddling the the Sixers front office, I was just about know, to say tough you know, beat for, for Keith Pompey. Yeah, this tagline of oh analytics are why they're here that you know they follow the numbers too much they need more basketball people, uh, and and Pompey kept touting that and I'm sure he was getting it from a reliable source. Yeah, yeah. You know it was, was a, one of the as we know the Sixers relied yeah. too on analytics just thrown into a sent into a paragraph that is just not related to analytics at all. Right. And, and he says all that and all that information supposedly comes to light if you want to say that. And then they hire the most analytical mind in the game uh, to run the front office and, and not just run the, like he's the president, like he's the president of basketball operations. Uh, he's as high as you can get in that organization while, while having something to do with the team. Um, but you know, it's uh, I, I, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe this day has finally come. It feels like you said, like, sort of a long time coming, something everyone kind of was rooting for and expected to happen. And, and here we are with, with Daryl Morey taking over, uh, you know, what are we, three years later now, what Sam Henke built and trying to get it back on track and, and, and rebuilding the process, I guess, is restarting the process, however you want to term it. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of, of like a, a movie, maybe a rom-com or something where you reach a point in the middle of the movie where all appears lost and it looks like, Oh boy, man, this is not going to end the way that I thought this narrative arc was going to go. And it convinces you just enough that things have gone so terribly as to be irreparable. And then all of a sudden the, the deus ex machina comes in, in the form of Daryl Morey and saves the day. You're like, Oh my God, I didn't see that, that twist coming. And now the story is back on track. That's kind of how the process feels to me. Now we had a moment there where it was like, Oh man, the process is over. Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, these guys are never going to work, blah, blah, blah. And maybe they won't. The Sixers didn't win a championship or anything. But this does feel like that, that plot twist that you don't see coming until like a minute or two before it happens in the movie. And then it sort of, it restores your hope in the outcome that you previously anticipated. So uh, again, obviously a long way to go before the Sixers actually get to that outcome. But th- this is a pretty fast, from a narrative entertainment standpoint this is a pretty fascinating plot twist there's a lot to respond to what you just said number one I I wonder how long Maury and the Sixers were kind of in cahoots and in communication with one another the other thing is that I'm curious now to see how good Elton Brand actually is at his job how good anyone else in the Sixers front office is at their job because for so long this is something you said before they had so many cooks in the kitchen that you couldn't really assign blame or praise to any one person in particular and couldn't really tell who was good or bad at their job. I think this move will create some sort of hierarchy to kind of clarify, okay, this guy is in charge of this, this guy's in charge of this, and it's just a competent power structure. And that's the thing the Sixers have lacked for so long since the Hinky years is just a competent person to be in charge of things. And now they have arguably the most competent at his job in the entire NBA in charge of their front office. And like that alone, that should be, I mean, we talk about with the Pacers, we talked about, well, just take fewer mid-range shots, take more threes. This is sort of the not taking mid-range shots of front office adjustments, which is a little bit coincidental because Maury kind of pioneered that not taking mid-range philosophy. But this is that low-hanging fruit. This, this is that for a general, for, for, for a front office. is just hiring a GM or a president of basketball ops who knows what they're doing and is going to run your franchise competently. Just get to that baseline. And for a team like the Sixers, that can make such a huge difference and, and lift them out of the, just the, the depths of mediocrity that they've been in for so long. 
Yeah, and, and to be fair to the Sixers front office, you know, when they hired Brian Clangelo, they interviewed everyone on the planet, 17 people from Mars, it was 14 from process. Venus. It was a completely legitimate interview process where they found the best candidate possible who just happened to be Jerry Colangelo's son. And was Listen, of, Jerry just couldn't say no to the, the, the basketball acumen sitting in front of him. Yeah, and he couldn't say no to those big old collars. But, uh, no, it was – you're right in that they've sort of been stuck in mediocrity, but that mediocrity had been trending up. You know, they yeah. they sort of – they were mediocre up until around 2012 when Hinky got there. They bottomed out. They reached the level of mediocrity after Hinky was gone, and Colangelo seemed hell-bent on keeping them there. Uh, then Elton Brand seemed hell-bent on keeping them there. And now they have a, a, a an upward trajectory again. You know, there, there's reason to believe this team can work it out. And I know everyone, and, and this is maybe the place we should go next and, and sort of how this roster is going to look. Yeah. Everyone's going to, you know, there are reasons to believe like, oh, Embiid will be on the way out. The Rockets didn't play with the center. I don't buy that. Uh, Simmons will be on the way out. He doesn't shoot threes. I don't buy that. What I do buy is Daryl Morey has two star players like he did with Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming. And he's going to do whatever he can to maximize those. Or players. like he did with James Harden and Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook or whoever. Like that's yeah, the, that's not, thing. not having a center was 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 a a play on having Russell Westbrook. It was exactly. we need to maximize the space for Russell Westbrook, so we cannot have a non-shooting uh, player out there, which means Capella's got to go. And, right. and so they have Co- Covington as a small ball five. I do wonder if Robert Covington will find his way back to Philadelphia as a Sixers fan. That would make me very happy. Uh, Maury has said on podcasts in the past how much he loves Cov. But no, they, they sort of – they're operating within the structure of their stars. And when you have two stars, you do what you can to build around them however you can. I do expect there to be a ton of roster turnover. I just don't ex- expect it to be either of those two. Yeah. I think that's a misconception about Maury that, well, he, he's the small ball guy, and that's the way he wants to play – that was true in Houston. It, it may be true. Like he may genuinely believe this is the best way to play basketball in general. But I think the theme with Maury is not that he wants to play as small as possible. It's that he wants to get as many stars as possible and build an infrastructure around those stars that's going to maximize them. That's really it. And the best way to do that, as you mentioned, with Russell and, and uh, or with, with Westbrook and, and Harden was to play small. The best way to do that with Chris Paul and James Harden was to play Clint Capella as a role man. You know, so the best way to maximize one star is not the same as the best way to maximize another. And so I agree with you. I, I do think we're going to see a lot of the same faces at the top of that pecking order in Philly. Like, I do not expect to see Simmons or Embiid get moved. I think Maury recognize, he recognizes that those guys are too talented to just trade away in like a salary dump or we, we need to trade these guys for the sake of trading them. I don't think he's going to think that way. I don't even know if Elton Brand thinks that way. Although again, I don't really know what Elton Brand thinks as a GM because we just don't know yet. But like Simmons, the idea that, oh, well, Simmons doesn't shoot three, so he's not going to fit with Daryl Morey. Again, I, I think that's, that's a misinterpretation of what Morey stands for. And it also ignores the fact that Ben Simmons is elite at creating threes. He's elite at getting to the basket, collapsing the defense, and setting up three-pointers. He set up the second most threes in the entire league behind LeBron James since 2016. So that's a skill that he is really good at. And we've said all along, many people have said all along, the flaw of the Sixers is not that, that Simmons and Embiid can't play together. It's that they're surrounded by people who they can't play with and who aren't maximizing them. And so that's where I agree with you the most, is I think we're going to see the, the, the change in, maybe it's not Josh Richardson, maybe it's more of a J.J. Redick type. Maybe it's Joe Harris. He'll be a free agent this summer. I would expect the Sixers to pursue him. Get guys who complement your best players and try to win a championship that way. I think that's the simplest path. I think that's the most likely path. 
for the Sixers to take now that they've gotten someone who has just a better vision of how to build a team than they've had before. Yeah, and I think if you want to look for guys that could be on the move, uh, it's sort of the same two names that that everyone speculated on before. It's Josh Richardson and Al Horford. It's got to be Horford. There's no way. There's absolutely no way Al Horford's on this roster now that Daryl Morey's And you've said that for a long time. I'm with you now that they've made this move. Like, I don't think there's any way Daryl Morey looks at Horford and says, yeah, you know what, he makes sense here. And honestly, I think that it kind of opens the door up for a trade to Houston. You know, there are people he trusts back there guys that worked under him that would trust him. And I think Al Horford would be really good in Houston if they're going to go away from uh, the sort of micro ball that they uh, operated under last year. But the reason everyone's going to point to Tobias Harris too, I don't believe Harris gets traded because trading Tobias Harris doesn't actually accomplish anything. Uh, he's a good player who can fit within this roster construction, He, especially under Doc Rivers if he amps up the, the three-point shooting like he did when uh, when Rivers was with him in, in Los Angeles. And the the return you're going to get is going to make your team worse. Like you are not going to get a return for Tobias Harris that makes your team better. Trading Al Horford makes your team better. Trading Tobias Harris doesn't make your team better unless you get an equal or better player in return or or a, a summation of assets that, that are, are equal in return. And I don't think Maury's going to try and move a guy just to get off the contract when you just don't have space anyways. Like there's no cap space to work with. So you probably move Richardson, who's an asset for a better fit. You move Horford for maybe an equally as bad contract, uh, but a guy that's a better fit. I, I've mentioned Buddy Heald time and time again. That still makes sense as long as Dave Yeager isn't going to scream at him all the time. Uh, but, you know, there, there are avenues for this team to really improve, and they sort of have the mastermind of the controls now to, that will do whatever it takes. And we talked last episode about Victor Oladipo and that possibility. Daryl Morey wants to hunt stars, and he'll do whatever he has to do to get them. And I think trading for a guy like that is more in play now than it was before uh, because he sees the upside, he sees what he can be, and he sees the potential fit if he is healthy and he's willing to take those kinds of swings. Yeah, and and the other element is how Doc Rivers fits in all of this. Can I break some news on the podcast? Certainly. Uh, the Houston Rockets, Maury's former team, obviously, are hiring Steven Silas as the head, next head coach. Ah. Uh, we can discuss this a little later, but worth mentioning, uh, the, the last vacancy, I believe, is now filled in the NBA. By the way, we've talked a lot, just as a, a quick note, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about how screwed the Rockets are moving forward. I have no confidence in the Rockets. I, I might not even pick them to make the playoffs next year. They're so really, screwed. They should be trading really Harden. Rough. Which, by the way, like that reunion becomes more realistic now because no team can beat an offer of Ben Simmons or Embiid if the Sixers want to do that. Uh, I don't think it's the smartest route, but like for the Sixers, anyways. But I do think the hard that Harden should be on the move uh, if the hard, if the Rockets are are doing what's best for their future. But anyways, back to what you were saying about the yeah, well, front office. One more thing I'll add about Maury, like. I really think Ben Simmons is going to benefit from this just because I think Maury will make him more of a priority than he's been under, re- under previous regimes. Like Embiid has kind of always been the focal point and he'll remain the focal point. But Simmons to me seems like a player that Daryl Maury is just like, yes, I can do so much with this guy. And of course, Doc Rivers will be an important part of that too, which leads me to what I was going to, to pose to you before the breaking news is how he fits into all of this because he's assembled a new staff. Uh, including Sam Cassell, including who, who did he hire today? One of uh, Dan Burke, who previously said that uh, Joe Embiid gets away with a lot of crap, which was yeah. which is a pretty funny hire. Uh, and Yeager, obviously Dave Yeager, who uh, who you mentioned and and actually is a I think did an outstanding job with the Kings at least tactically when he was in his last stop and with the Grizzlies too. And like he's a good tactical head coach. 
you've talked about his shortcomings as a kind of a player relationship guy, but as a human being, <laughs> as, I'm not going to go that far. No, I mean from the sense like from a communication standpoint, yeah. like he can't interact with other humans well. But having a guy like that in an assistant role where he's not asked to kind of carry the emotional weight of the locker room. So that, I mean that's that's a a competent head coaching staff, which is not to say that Brett Brown wasn't competent, but it just feels like the Sixers are are kind of achieving the the or prioritizing competence at every, at every position, you know? Well, uh, and I would, I would go as far with that coaching staff as saying it's a, I mean, there might, you know, it's among, quite good. yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Dan Burke is well regarded as an excellent defensive coach. We saw the defenses he helped put together in Indiana uh, under Nate McMillan. Uh, Dave Yeager is incredible tactically. Uh, he's really, really good offensively and can sort of adapt to any system and any roster. Uh, Sam Cassell has, has been an up-and-coming coach. I'm, I'm still surprised he doesn't have a head coaching job. Uh, that, that's a fantastic hire, too. And then you sort of have Doc spearheading it all. And you're right. They have they sort of just tried to find competence at every level. Uh, and I, I totally agree with you about Ben Simmons, too, that, that he's going to get maximized here. I fully expect him and, and Doc Rivers to have a lot of conversations about wanting to shoot and, and, you know, them needing him to shoot eventually, but more so about him getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line and being a good shooter there. Uh, Daryl Morey prioritizes that just as much as he prioritizes three-point shooting. Like the Rockets weren't just about shooting threes. They're about the highest efficiency looks. I think we'll see fewer Embiid post-ups. I think we'll see more of Simmons attacking the rim. I think we'll see more of, you know, Embiid floating around the perimeter, which as much as people like to argue about it is fine. Like he can shoot and can be a capable shooter. Uh, and space the floor for Simmons. Uh, and, and, you know, most importantly, though, I think they'll still let Embiid post up a little bit. He is efficient there. Like, at the end of the day, that's not an efficient shot, but it is for Joel Embiid. So you should let him take his most efficient looks. Uh, I, I do think the, the most interesting – numbers on Embiid post-ups, the numbers on Embiid post-ups are absurd. very good. Yeah. Especially like, for you, – the thing you have to consider, too, is it's not just relative to – and I'll let you finish as soon as I, I make this point – it's not just relative to like league average offensive rating relative to league average half court offensive rating 1.12 points per possession or whatever it is, is absurd. Yeah. And you know, he, he's, he may be maxed out from that standpoint, you know, that he may not necessarily get better, but they don't need him to get better at that. You know, that he needs to work on the other aspects of his game. Uh, but I, I, I think Simmons and Embiid will both benefit from this, from the rivers higher, from the, the Cassell, the Burke, the, the Jaeger hires. It's just about getting the right roster around them, and that's what Daryl Morey's brought in to do. Uh, I I would think, like, there's a chance Simmons and Embiid and Harris are the only three starters we see come back next year. I would bet there's a good chance that happens, actually. Uh, you know, if any, if he can somehow flip Harris for value, you mentioned as him being someone that, that Indiana might value because – uh, of their situation, the way their roster is built. Uh, if they can get value in return for him, I wouldn't expect him to be back either. You know, I, I, I'm not I saying – I think the Sixers should be looking to trade Harris. I, I think they should be, but I don't think they should be looking to get anyone worse than Tobias Harris. You know what I mean? Like, they, they shouldn't be looking – like, they shouldn't trade Tobias Harris for Buddy Heald. Like, Tobias Harris adds too much to the roster. Buddy Heald has his own deficiencies that, that could be an issue. He and does- to, but that kind of gets into the talent versus fit thing because Tobias Harris is a better player than Buddy Heald, but but he's also not a bad fit though. He's he's and no, he's, he's not a perfect fit. Like the perfect fit around Embiid and Simmons is just uh, one guy that can create his own shot and defend, and then two guys who can shoot and defend. Like that's it. You know what I mean? But Tobias Harris, yeah. I would I would argue is a good fit. Like he, you know what I mean? He's, he's not fun, perfect. But when you talk means. about 
maximizing he can shoot, Simmons and Embiid. He can, like he can defend. Simmons, right, but, but when you talk about maximizing Simmons and Embiid, giving Simmons the space to get to the basket, giving Embiid the room to post up, I think you want someone better than Tobias Harris spacing the floor. Like, I just think you want a better shooter. And he's better than a lot of guys at a lot of stuff. But that is the one. I mean, the Sixers have prioritized talent over fit for so long. And, it, and it's kind of backfired on them. Like, I think shooting is the one thing where you're like, you know what? Even if this guy's a worse player in the aggregate, we just need this fit to work so badly that, that we're willing to kind of downgrade in talent to get a guy that, that fits better. You know let what I mean? Me, let, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I also don't think Tobias Harris is hurting the spacing. You know what I mean? Like, they can't give him open corner threes. They can't give him, you know, open threes in general. Or right, else but I'm thinking about a guy that you have to guard, like a guy who is like a, a Duncan Robinson. Not not quite that level of shooter, but... Like a Davis Bertans. Yeah, like a, a real, like, holy crap, we cannot leave this guy open shooter. Like, that's so then, what the Sixers have been missing. Then the question becomes, and I... You know, you're you're swaying me a little bit on this because I do think Simmons and Embiid are good enough defensively to produce a top ten defense, exactly. kind yeah. of regardless of who's around them. But at the same time, do you want three deficient defenders? You know what I mean? Like, like, can you afford to have, let's say, Shake Milton, Buddy Heald, and Davis Bertans as the three guys around Embiid and Simmons? Like, you know what I mean? Like no. that's well, so. But I'm thinking of it more as maybe. Maybe Richardson, Simmons, and Embiid are your nominal small forward, power forward, and center. And then it's, it's Shake Milton and somewhat shooter. Say Shake Milton and whatever shooter we're thinking about. Joe, let's say Joe Harris. At that point, Th- that's I would, a better idea to me than trying to shoehorn Tobias Harris in at the three again or whatever the positional thing. See, see is. I think it's I think it's better to have Harris than Richardson. One because Harris is a better shooter and a more willing shooter, and two, you're maximizing Harris more than you're maximizing Richardson. Richardson, you really just want him moving away from the ball. With that construction, he kind of has to have the ball in his hands too much again. They need the primary yeah. ball handler, like they desperately need a real primary ball handler. You know, Chris Paul gets bandied about a lot because, I mean, I think everyone knows the Thunder are going to trade him. Well, isn't uh, Simmons like, the primary ball handler? I, I don't think he's in the half court, and I think that's what we're going to – I think we're going to see not total Blake Griffin from him, you know, from when Doc was with the Clippers, but I, my expectation would be that this is a team that's going to have Ben Simmons as either the three or the four because, like, one, the defensive positions don't matter. He's a non-shooter. That's how you have to account for him. Uh, so he can theoretically be a three because he can guard one through five. Um, and that's why Harris does fit a little bit at the four there. He's not being forced to guard, you know, quicker guys at the three. Yeah. But I, I think he's he's going to get rid of the ball in the half court and then move around and be used as a screener, as a cutter, off the ball more, and he should benefit from that. I agree. I think that is a great way to use Ben Simmons. I also think there's ways to work him in as the primary ball handler, even in the half court. Especially if he starts getting the free throw line. That's the thing. Right. Like if he starts getting the free throw line and you back off six feet from him, like then good luck. Yeah. And if he makes those shots, then then it's kind of over. Well, but the, but the thing is, like that half court Ben Simmons only works if he has the spacing. And again, that's where I think it, it behooves you if you're Philly to just shift Richardson down to, to the, the quote unquote three. I think Richardson's gone. I think there's almost no chance Richardson's on the roster. And maybe he is, but but he's under. I mean, I I think he definitely has a better contract than Tobias Harris. He's more affordable. He he is. He might. But he does like in a vacuum. He does expire after this year, though. Like that's the thing you have to account for too. Josh Richardson. Unless you know, maybe who knows? Maybe like twelve million is what he's worth. Like that might be uh, the 
the sort of rough estimate for, for what he should be paid. I don't know. Like yeah. there's, that's a real possibility, but, but I, I do know that like, I understand what you're saying. Tobias Harris is still a better player in a vacuum. Like he's, he's just capable of so much more offensively and defensively. He is above average. Whereas Richardson like can really cost you games. Like if he is, if he's going to handle the ball at all, he's probably going to turn it over. We saw that time and time again. He can't be asked to do that. Part of the problem with the Sixers last year was that Josh Richardson was sort of taken out of what he does best and was put in a position where he had to do what he does fine. Like, you know what I mean? He's he's not a great shooter. He's not a great ball handler. He's not a great distributor. But that's what the Sixers asked him to do. He can do those things competently, and he can spot up and shoot around the arc when you know in catch and shoot situations. But you want him being a maniac defensively. You want him playing off the ball on offense, cutting, spacing the floor, creating action for his teammates, and and, and that and you know being a secondary creator, making correct passes instead of having to initiate offense and trying to make passes that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and and they asked him to not do that. And I just don't see another way. You know, if he comes back, that that he's going to be asked to do that role that he fits best in. I think he's going to be asked to do too much again. I don't think the return on investment is going to be the same if you trade Tobias Harris. Like, I just don't see a way that the team is is better next year with Richardson and whoever you get for Tobias Harris than Tobias Harris and whatever you get for Josh Richardson. That's a good way to phrase it. I think I see it the opposite way, though. I think I would rather – especially because really what I'm thinking of is the defense. Richardson being able to just hound the ball on defense at three positions and be really versatile. And if Simmons and Embiid are kind of your four and five on defense, that gives, and Simmons, of course, you can move them all over the. Yeah. I don't think Simmons is a four defensively though. Well, he's an anything defense. He's a Ben Simmons defensively. That's the great thing about him. Right. I think, and that's, I kind of think that gives credence to bring Tobias Harris back because then you can just let Tobias Harris guard fours do it relatively well, like be a good defender of fours. uh, Yeah. But would you rather have a weapon? at that spot. Right. But on a team that struggles to create offense in the half court, I would rather have a guy who can create offense in the half court yeah. can run pick and roll. And my, that's the thing too, with Tobias Harris, he's, if, if he's on the roster this season, he's going to run a lot more pick and rolls than he did last year. He's going to like, he's not going to shoot 43% like he did for Doc in Los Angeles, but he's going to be, I would expect a better player than he has been for the Sixers thus far. Uh, because I think Doc knows how to utilize him. Tobias Harris is really good in the pick and roll. Like, I, I think that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. He's a legitimate, really good pick and roll ball handler creating for himself. Uh, and, and, you know, they just didn't let him do it last year. They didn't run enough pick and roll at all. Uh, well, and so and that, given that opportunity, other, I think he can excel there. That's the other thing I was going to say, except I was going to go in the opposite direction as a case for keeping Richardson. Because you mentioned sort of the, the idealized version of him and where he fits in best. I wonder if there's a way to unlock that sort of Miami Josh Richardson. And I wonder if the way looks a little bit like the 2019 Clippers, which obviously is a team Doc Rivers coach. And I know Harris was on that team, so you can draw that line as well. But just, just the idea of having, having so many secondary creators that you sort of get the juice of a primary creator. And of course, Ben Simmons is kind of your primary creator as well. And Joel Embiid. Like, I think there's a way it's a weird mix of skills and it's, it's not Isn't an that... easy thing to do, but I think there's a way when you have Ben Simmons and you have Joel Embiid, those guys are so good on offense. I don't think you necessarily need to have that pick and roll threat isolation, you know, great primary guy. If you have the right coach to get the most out of those secondary threats, the Josh Richardson's, the shake Milton's, the shooter X guys. I think that is enough to give you a top, 
10 offense or so. And if you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you probably have a top eight defense too. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The problem there is when you get to the playoffs uh, and and all of a sudden all those secondary creators lose some of their value because you sure. they, they can't create well enough. And but it's it, it's that issue. kind of happen to Harris this year too? Right. But that's why you don't want him to be your primary creator. That's why you want him to be, you know, third in the pecking order and he can be fine. Uh, well, you know, if, but, but could the, the, the do that same role though? Isn't that kind of what he was in Miami? Yes. And no, I, I don't know that he can do it. If, you know, if he's sharing the four with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, because he's not a good enough shooter. Uh, and, and, Quite frankly, I also again this goes back to him being a, an asset. I, I think he's your only way to really improve the roster. Yeah, uh, you know he's the most likely candidate there, and and the return on him is going to be so much better than the return on Tobias Harris that it 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 makes it clear cut to me, anyways. Yeah, the uh, shooting, I, I, the shooting, I think and the contract like, are the two things that I think are big points in favor of keeping Harris. Yeah, and. and Honestly, the contract shouldn't be – it's not the contract as much as the trade value of the contract. Right, that's you what know? I mean. That's what I, yeah. You're not getting as much in return for Harris because you probably have to attach something and teams and don't want to take on that money. And I think that's how Maury will view it. Like, he's, he's always going to maximize his assets. Uh, and I don't think trading Tobias Harris is maximizing the value of that contract. I think it's keeping him. The – Everyone like everyone likes to bash Tobias Harris and, and everything and say, you know, he's he's so overpaid. But at the end of the day, he's going to be overpaid no matter what. If he's good in helping your team win, then the contract isn't going to matter anymore. It's already in place. You may as well keep him if your a trade is going to make it worse. Like going to make the roster situation worse. Uh you know, I I I think that they pretty desperately need to go hard after Paul. They pretty desperately need to go hard after Victor Oladipo because they I understand what you're saying about the secondary creation, but we've seen time and time again that team in the playoffs not be able to put it together offensively and not have a sort of way out. Uh, and, you know, they, they they just need someone that can create in crunch time. They need someone that can create for others. There wasn't a better player in the league at doing it than Chris Paul last year. Uh, Victor Oladipo has proven that he can hit shots. He can create for himself. He can create for others. And he's, you know, effective defensively when he's, when he's at full strength. I think the – the way the Sixers handle this is going to be fascinating. Yeah. But I, I do think they're going to maximize the assets they have. And that's why, even if I thought that Richardson was the better fit, it's why I think he's most likely to get traded too. Yeah. I think we've reached something of an impasse. I'm, I'm a team keep Richardson guy, your team keep Harris. I do think it's going to be really interesting. Like Rivers and Maury are going to have a, a job to find out the, the best path to get the most out of this team. It's sort of like, they can see what the finished product should look like 
and they there's four different sort of routes they can take to get there and they just have to figure out which is the one that is going to get them there most efficiently and i don't it's not i mean it's not clear it's kind of everything has its own stumbling it's very blocks. murky yeah every every avenue has its own stumbling blocks every trade has its upsides and its downsides every free agent signing comes with a certain amount of risk like it's it's just going to be really interesting and not to mention the strategy you know how they actually look on the court and and so both bringing in the players and figuring out how those players fit together is going to be one of the most fascinating storylines in the NBA next season, which, you know, was what we said about the Sixers this year, too. It's, they, they never cease to be fascinating. Right, but they're well-run this time, I think. Yes. I hope. Uh, you know, it, it seems like they're competent for once, and that's why I said, you know, they, when they make trades, it's, they're probably going to be, you know, looking like they're getting more value than they're giving up or they're making deals that benefit themselves for the future. Uh, Daryl Morey didn't make many trades that they lost. And the one that you can point to that they definitively lost, it seems like the Tillman and uh, James Harden were at the core of why that deal got done. And a year later, he's out. And that's, of course, getting Russell Westbrook uh, and giving up picks and Chris Paul. I think, by the way, you talk about him having something in the works with the Sixers. I think once that deal got done, he knew he was done in Houston because he wasn't going to, he didn't want to be the one. And I don't blame him having to deal with the repercussions of making that trade, them losing their picks and having to swap down the line, all to get Russell, get a worse player, quite frankly, for Chris Paul. Uh, so I think once once that happened, the writing may have been on the wall. Sham Sharani reported that they first had they had dinner on October 18th and that they had been in contact literally as soon as he uh, resigned. My guess is that contact probably happened before then and that that's the only uh, legal way, I guess, for the Sixers to leak out that they, you know, were, were tampering with, with Daryl Morey the whole time. Is the next step here bringing back Sam Hinkie? Like, does Morey have the standing in the league to do that without getting penalized? Daryl Morey cost the league $200 million. <laughs> I forgot about that. And got another job. Yeah, he absolutely he has the standing to bring back. See, all right, well, don't, let's do it. Don't get my bring hopes it full up. circle. Don't don't get my hopes up. There's there's a, a worthwhile podcast. The race to Ricky Sanchez had Daryl Morey on at the end of July, uh, and they spoke to him a lot about Sam Hinkie, about sort of the the machinations of of the league and how it works, and and you know, and, and uh, trades and his thought process and a lot of things. And you know, he he was saying about how. Sam Hankey probably would have run the Rockets a lot similarly and how if Sam Hankey were in charge these last couple of years and he saw a chance to win, he'd have been cashing in on every single asset he could to make the team better. And it's just refreshing to hear a, a general manager who wants to make the team better instead of just like, you know, in one case trying to stroke their ego and Brian Colangelo and in, in, in a second case and out in Brandon, not really having enough control to do anything to actually improve the team and, and kind of having to fall uh, to the will of, of Brian Colangelo's assistance and, and the staff he had in place. Well, we've gone longer than anticipated on the Sixers here. What else? Don't we always? Act? They And again, like I understand, like I am a Sixers fan. People don't want to always hear about the Sixers, but they like, they, they were fascinating before they hired Doc Rivers. Hiring yeah. Doc Rivers made them more fascinating. Then hiring Daryl Morey made them like, they're probably the most fascinating team in the league this off season because they're, they're, I would think the only team you know that's going to have a, quite a bit of turnover on their roster. And speaking of the offseason, by the way, yes. there's a lawnmower out. There's a lawnmower outside my uh, window. I don't know if people can hear that, but it's been, it's been buzzing for a long time here. Uh, yeah, we can't hear it. We're good here. Okay. Well, it's annoying me, so I just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> let's, let's move on to some schedule announcements. We don't necessarily have to spend a ton of time on this, but 
we've been talking about the off season, what might happen in the off season for so long now that we should mention that we don't know when the off season is really going to happen. At least not exactly. It, it so, seems like the NBA season is going to start. Adrian Wojnarowski reported potentially sometime before Christmas is what the NBA is pushing for with a 72 game shortened regular season. As far as free agency, anything like that, we don't know when that's going to happen. The draft is scheduled for November 18th. The season- that's locked. It's locked in for November 18th. Yes. For it's worth. And just to sort of interject on the sure. the, the the free agency stuff, I listened to uh, the low post with Bobby Marks and and. Uh, Uh, Zach Lowe and it seems like free agency is going to be starting pretty quickly after that as soon as like two or three days after that Uh, I've seen other reports too that it's like within a week of that ending which yeah like like I'm sure you're about to say the the season if it's starting December 22nd like it seems like that's the target date you have a month to to get guys in have training cramp and get a team ready how long do you need after the draft to start free agency you know, right. I mean, maybe, maybe you do, but many of these teams have had like nine months to prepare for this. Like right. if, it also, if, if the also, Bulls come in unprepared, like they're <laughs> like, it will be the meme of the century. If the Bulls somehow mess this up when they've literally had eight months to prepare for this draft in this off season. The weird thing is that it's been so long since the season ended and we still haven't had the draft yet. Cause usually the draft is like a week and a half after this, the finals. And, and we still haven't had that anyway. The season looks like it's going to start sometime around Christmas. There was a report today, I believe from Chris Haynes, is that correct? That there, there potentially players are advocating it for it to be moved closer to Martin Luther King Day, which I think makes more sense. Like we played the finals, what, a month ago? I mean, we're, we're not far removed from the end of the season. Two months is not a long time to give these players to, especially on the Lakers in the heat, to recover, to rest to get themselves, you know, ready for the upcoming season. Cause it's not just that you're going to take a two month vacation. You take a two week vacation, three week vacation. Then you ramp back up to get ready for training camp. And then the season, if you're starting on December 22nd, December 25th, whatever it is, that that's just a really quick turnaround. And I, I don't well, know to, the best path forward for the league. To be fair though, they also had, like players had four months off, you know, from March to July, you know, Some where, yeah, some of well, no, I mean, not pretty much all of them oh, had off from March, oh, March to July. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's true. And and so like there was an unusual break in there. I'm not saying like guys that just got done playing are probably still going to be more tired than those that didn't. Uh, some teams have had nine months off, <laughs> like I yeah. said, and they will have you know they will be as fresh as can be. Uh, you know, there's no correct way to do this. I think from a financial standpoint, this is probably the right way to go. Uh, they should be trying to get back on track for 21, 22 do whatever they can to be to be uh, ready to go because there's no guarantee fans will be allowed in the stands you know this this season at all like if they if they were to push the season back to march and they still couldn't have fans in then what were they doing you know like then they pushed it back for nothing and they're still fighting with football and baseball at late in the season on on ratings and everything for tv so i i think that's probably the right move to to get it going as soon as they can and and kind of put themselves in a spot where uh they where they can, they can sort of hit the reset button going into 21-22. Yeah, and there are two other major incentives that I see, one of which is sort of minor, but uh, the Olympics, you, you probably want to have the season done before the Olympics start, if the Olympics even happen, I don't know. Uh, just yeah, so who knows have, at this point. You can have NBA players play for Team USA over the summer if they want to, just have that option open. And the other thing is being able to start the 21-22 season on time the farther you push back the 21 season, the later it ends, the later you probably have to start the 22 season. So 
starting it in, in December from that perspective, if you're playing 72 games, you can hope to have it finished by July and, and put yourself back on kind of that regular NBA schedule. I can see the rationale for that, but I just think in terms of quality of play, it's not going to be good at the start of the season. And obviously starting at Thanksgiving is off the table starting. I mean, the season would have started like this week in a, a normal, you know, timeline if, if coronavirus hadn't happened. But so, so that's obviously all kind of out the window, but man, December 22nd just seems very early and very close to the finals. And I just wonder among some of the players, maybe I'm overstating how much of an issue it would be for players. Cause it really only affects like four teams. Who, who have played somewhat recently. Uh, but that still feels for the Celtics, Nuggets, Lakers, and Heat, it just feels like such a, such a quick turnaround that I would have a hard time with that if I were on any of those teams. Yeah, I, I think it'll be worse basketball early in the season, but it'll be worth it in the long run. You know, I don't think yeah. we're going to get to like March and April and, and still be like, oh, man, the basketball's still terrible here. Uh, I think they, they've probably got to get it started relatively quickly. Cutting 10 games off definitely helps. We shall see. There's a lot to be still figured out with the NBA season with specific teams, the Sixers included, and we will talk about many more of those teams as we continue our post-mortem series. We may start calling it like off-season report because it's kind of – we're so far removed from the season that it's yeah. not really These a teams, anymore. Yeah, the Bulls have been day. dead for a while. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll certainly hit every team, even if some of them, uh, like the Knicks and maybe the Bulls too, some of those bad teams – don't get a lot of uh, a lot of shine on these episodes, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about all of those. I'll say one more time: there's two days left of early voting in Georgia. Georgians, if you haven't voted already, please go out and do it. Obviously, election day is November third. You can do it there as well. Uh, keep the momentum going. Keep voting. All of that stuff. Um, you know, and and wear a mask. You know, coronavirus is spiking again. It's getting worse by the day. We're not through the woods on this thing by any stretch. The pandemic remains a, uh, a huge threat to everyone. So be mindful of that. Thank you for listening. And uh, John, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.